My name is Erin Macri and I am a member of the BGSM editorial team. Before I introduce our guest today, I also want to welcome Jane Thornton, who is one of BGSM's editors. So welcome, Jane. Thank you. It's great to be here, Erin. My pleasure today to introduce to you Dr. Georgie Brambles. Uh, Georgie is a research associate at St. Mary's University in Twickenham in the UK and also works as a senior sports scientist and research scientist at Orico. Her research focuses on the female athlete and female physiology. Welcome, Georgie. Hi, Erin. Thank you for having me. They were talking about one of Georgie's recent publications about prevalence of menstrual cycle symptoms and their association with the ability for women to train and compete. So Georgie, before we even talk about your research, Jane and I both thought that it was really interesting that your career about your career, because it's unique because it's not only, it's not fully embedded in academia, right? Because you're doing research in an industry role as well. So maybe can you start by telling us more about what exactly your role is and maybe how it differs from a more traditional academic position? Yes. Um, good question. Well, I guess I think I'm really lucky in many ways because my role is sort of 50% research and then 50% applied. So um, Orico, the company I work for alongside um, being a research associate at St Mary's University, as you already highlighted, um, Orico is a sports science and data analytics company. So through that, we work with a whole range of different athletes around the world across a whole range of different sports. And um, I work across both male and female sports, but I really have a kind of primary focus in the female sport area. Um, and so in that um, regard, I guess I'm an applied physiologist with um, either uh, female teams or individual female athletes. So um, that role really involves me working around all aspects of female health um, and general physiology. So my background is in sports science and physiology. So I really kind of apply a female specific lens to that. Um, and I think I mean, in, in many ways, I feel, as I said, I feel really fortunate because I can see what's going on on the ground and then I can go back and think, OK, these are my research questions. Like, it's so clear to me what we need to understand better. But then also from my research, from the research world, I guess I can pick up what I'm reading in research and what we're doing in our lab from a research perspective and then apply it. And effectively, we have a perfect test bed to be really applied with everything that we're doing um, so it really is quite a mixture of of both worlds which actually I find very interesting and I it really makes me feel strongly about the need to get um, publications out there that have a real like what do practitioners need to know element to it because you know I can see how busy practitioners are on the ground particularly in female sport where there are typically less practitioners with the team and so the more we can facilitate that process of you know learning from the research world the better but it needs to be two-way as well. That's really interesting too Jordi I'm, and I'm wondering so how how does that unique role that you play which I think you know covers so many different angles and is and is so applicable do you find that that can also inform the the role of the team kind of physiotherapist or or physician who may be treating those female athletes do you do you find that it's uh it, it can be quite helpful and and how so if you do I mean, for me, whenever I go into working with a team or specifically with physios, with doctors, etc., it's all about firstly ensuring everyone has the basic education around this area. We know that for many medical students, they would say, oh, maybe we have one lecture in uni about this. Like it, it is crazy because women are half the population. But I think making sure everyone 
understands the area first um and then I think it's really working with individuals to best understand what their cycle means. We know everyone's cycle is a bit different, but yeah, definitely across the, the whole team, including nutritionists as well. And I'd love to pick up on just that one word, if I may, in terms of, or that, that phrase that you said that I, I really think it's, it's quite interesting about this concept of normalizing symptoms and, uh, or just the no- menstrual cycle, I should say. So just that concept of making that a normal part of conversation, because I think you know, there's, there's quite a few female athlete researchers, sports medicine clinicians alike who have that same feeling that there's, uh, you know, we, we need to be talking about this more and, and making it more normal. And, and why, I mean, I'd love to hear more about your study, of course, as, as well, but why has it been important, do you think, for athletes to, uh, to be able to normalize the menstrual cycle as well or have that interaction? And how has your, your research kind of played into that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So I think it's really, really challenging because obviously there's so many historical beliefs around the menstrual cycle or not wanting to talk about the menstrual cycle. And I think there is this real element of, um, you know, it's a curse and it's it's a real negative. Um, And I think for me, really, we need to, as you say, like loads of practitioners are increasingly really wanting to break down this barrier and try and normalize this area um i think for me getting more athletes talking about it and normalizing it as you say is really really important but it needs to be normalized in the right way as well and i think the number of headlines over the past few years that have highlighted oh player x dropped out of this event because they were on their period like what message is that sending people so we need to normalize it but not normalize it in a way that is um creating barriers instantly um and I think particularly around menstrual cycle symptoms, like we know, and like one of my big aims behind the study was to highlight, okay, I'm seeing this on the ground. I'm seeing all these symptoms, but we need to actually start capturing data on this because like I'm sure, Jane, from your perspective as a practitioner, you see many athletes experiencing symptoms, but we need to be able to collect information measure them and also what can we do about them like i i hate the thought of women going around there uh, going around living their everyday lives in agony and i think you know we need to start collecting more data in this area to really understand particularly in the exercising population which um hasn't really been investigated before like what are the driving factors for these symptoms and and i think like the more um elite athletes the more practitioners the more um people generally can start talking about this the better because then it will just take away that um forced barrier which actually stepping back hormones are fluctuating in a cyclical pattern there is some blood flow as a result of the hormonal changes but actually throughout the whole cycle there's this hormonal pattern that's a normal natural process it's a sign of health and we should you know, try and almost reframe the narrative around it, in my opinion. Before we go a little further into maybe some of the pros and cons or barriers, etc., to talking about menstruation in a sports context, maybe maybe it's a good idea to just briefly touch on what the actual study is that we mentioned at the beginning. Can you maybe just give us a little bit about what the, what the study methods were and what you found? Yes, of course. Um, so, as through my role at Orico, um, we were very fortunate to partner with Strava. So for people who don't know, Strava is um, an exercise tracking application, mobile application. Um, 
And I think Strava are really keen to, it's, it's very historically known to be an app that is focused on um, kind of male sports and it's all about men being competitive with each other. And we know women are just wired differently. Women aren't necessarily um, so competitive in the same way. Um, so Strava really have a push to uh, increase usage um, and support for female athletes through the app. So um, they came to us and we formed this partnership and um, effectively our primary um, aims and methodology were to establish um, a real like global understanding or relatively global understanding of menstrual cycle symptoms um, and the frequency of in which people were occurring them uh, the frequency um, of which they were carrying in in exercising women um but also trying to understand what the impact of these are so not only what type of symptoms are people experiencing but actually is that affecting them or are they just cracking on with it with their everyday lives um and then i mean actually we've got a, a much larger data project going on um with this study uh, generally but this this specific study was really about trying to understand what are people experiencing and how might this be um impacting them and really like key kind of outcomes from my perspective where full practitioners out there like what should they be aware of like what should they be um monitoring in their athletes like should they even be capturing symptom data is this relevant lovely now um one of the things that's interesting about this study and i think um i might turn it over to jane to ask specifically but it's sort of just sort of more about the the technology of collecting big data jane do you have some specific questions about about that yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's one of those aspects of sports medicine research that I, I think are really taking off. And um, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I just in terms of your um, patient population, I guess, uh, I was really interested in maybe if you want to discuss some of the findings, uh, basically on that, but, uh, you know, really what the advantages, I guess, of being able to, to collect this type of big data and, and what it what it means for for the findings that you actually did collect yeah that's a really good question so firstly in terms of big data like i i 100 agree like there is a big data boom at the moment it would seem and i think you know the inv um, inventive apps things like genomics e-systems like pharmacare like everyone seems to be um jumping on this big data um, or in, into this big data world and I think obviously it's it's great in so many ways because it gives us a really good um, overview from a, a large large group um, of the, your target subset um, and in this study specifically like the exercising female population we know there's this historical dearth of research in the female athletes so actually this really helped facilitate that and obviously it enables us like by using big data to have some sort of global population level trends which we were able to establish here um and then you know moving forwards i think the potential with big data around artificial intelligence machine learning um, really understanding so in this in the context of this study like the risk factors for menstrual symptoms for example i think you know you need really big data sets to to help understand that and then further down the line it can help with enabling precision medicine and um you know there's a global reach to to all of this which is um really exciting if we go down to those basic findings i guess what were they and, and i guess the, the patient population you were studying correct me if i'm wrong was those not taking any kind of oral uh, contraception or using iud's 
Yes, so it was strictly women of uh, so women of a reproductive age. So in the last year, they hadn't been um, pregnant or postpartum. They weren't menopausal. They weren't using combined forms of hormonal contraception. But we decided to include women using progestin only birth control, um, because progestin only birth control doesn't exhibit the same systemic metabolic response. So in terms of key findings, like, so over ninety percent of women reported having experienced mood changes. Um, cravings were um, in the high 80%, breast pain, tiredness, and then menstrual cramps. And they were kind of the top five symptoms that women experienced, um, and also the top five symptoms that women experienced every single cycle. Um, I thought it was really interesting that everyone thinks menstrual cycle, oh, it's all about menstrual cramps. And I think it's easy to think about that because obviously that's sort of the, the key symptom that everyone puts on the menstrual cycle or on having a period. But actually that was the only the fifth most um, prevalent symptom. Um yeah, and so then on top of that, we found, I mean, probably unsurprisingly, but still interestingly, um, an association between um, missing or needing to miss or change training, missing a sport event or competition, missing work or lectures, and u- utilizing pain medication as a result of symptoms. Um, so we found an association between number and frequency of symptoms and a need to like have all of these adverse outcomes as a result so a need to alter kind of optimal lifestyle behaviors and I guess a big part of our study was actually to create a way to quantify menstrual symptoms so we derived this menstrual symptom index so um, we asked people to um, report how regularly they experienced menstrual symptoms so is it every cycle is it every few cycles is it every you know one in six or do they never experience that symptom and by the way, on average, um, each woman each woman reported experiencing um, 11 symptoms, which, again, back to that point of people just often think it's menstrual cramps, which is a wide range of other symptoms that can be experienced. Um, anyway, we used a Likert scale to um, come up with this menstrual symptom index, um, which we're thinking in the future could be a starting point on the way to coming up with a way of like screening women for menstrual symptoms and so we use this menstrual symptom index to look at associations and we did like a a logistic regression model to look at associations between a need to miss or change training miss or um, miss a sporting event or competition missing work um, and a need to use anti-inflammatory medication um and and actually another really key thing from my perspective was that women were much more prone to um, missing training or using pain medication than they were to missing an event or missing work. And maybe that seems obvious, but I think actually it sort of, it really questions, okay, so it, women will have like really, really high numbers of symptoms before they think actually I'm going to have to miss work or I'm going to have to um, miss an event, miss a sporting event here. Um, and that really fits with my belief that so many women are out there suffering in silence and just making do. Um, if they have slightly less of a, a need to miss some uh, or a concern about missing something like missing training, then they're more likely to do that than actually miss something really important. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not there are some people that you shouldn't be tracking menstrual symptoms for? Like, do you think that everybody needs to be tracked or what what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So one thing that I believe in so, so strongly, and I've seen so much, um, particularly over the last year, I think with the COVID scenarios, that everyone is so different and everyone's body responds to these fluctuating hormonal changes very differently. Um, and we don't even know, you know, still in terms of working out whether women are having an ovulatory or ovulatory cycles, like that's still hard to establish unless you, you know, measure basal body temperature or um, use an LH kit. So it's still, it is really challenging to um, kind of be very generic with with women around their cycle unless you're individually monitoring someone. But that being said, there is also this fear, which I I do have, but I've I feel like I've it's something I've learned. Like you don't want to make people hyper aware and over over conscious. Like oh gosh, I'm in phase four. So for for us through our Orico Fitter Women program, we we uh, name different phases of the menstrual cycle. Phase four is pre menstrual. So we don't want people to think oh my gosh, I'm in phase four. I'm pre menstrual. I'm gonna be so rubbish over the next few days. It's it's like I think the way you frame it is so important um as I said earlier the menstrual cycle should be your superpower everyone has a different footprint we just need to work out or individuals need to work out what their footprint looks like and how they can roll with that like the number of people who say to me oh it it helps to understand why so if for some reason you don't feel as great when you're out for a run and then you step back and you think oh I'm at that point in my menstrual cycle often there is a real like oh phew like that explains it and and I think that's really important. But then I'd also flip it on its head and say, what can you do about it? Because I think, you know, we know that there's loads of different factors that can alter menstrual symptoms. So it's all about firstly collecting that information and then understanding for you as an individual, how can you manage those menstrual symptoms? And obviously there are cases where menstrual dysfunctions are present and they're so bad and, you know, you might need to jump in with hormonal contraception, for example, or, um, you know, even like surgical interventions if symptoms are really, really bad. But often I think just establishing where an individual is at is important, even if, hey, they don't get any menstrual symptoms at all. But actually, well, then are there times where you feel better than other times? Well, what could you do there to, you know, really harness that? Right. That's interesting. Yeah, because I I sometimes wonder if, um, you know, the more things we track, the more things we find, right? So if we're, if we're at risk for like medicalizing a condition that is essentially a normal part of being a woman. A hundred percent. And I think again, back to Erin's point earlier about like education, normalizing the area, I think it shouldn't be deemed to be a negative. It needs to be deemed to be like, this is this whole cycle process and it's part of being a woman. And it's just one aspect of female health, which actually underpins everything. Georgie, um, I'm thinking in terms of our, our listeners and at BGSM, you know, we're always looking for those clinical implications and, you know, how does it change practice for, you know, sports medicine clinicians um, and, and allied health? And, and to our listeners, I just, in, in terms of, you know, if a female athlete uh, goes to her healthcare provider kind of with these track symptoms in hand, uh, how do you how do you foresee that change in management and and what do you see kind of coming out from your work in terms of how it affects the clinician mm-hmm. yeah really good question so yeah first thing i'd say um big like passion point of mine initially was just highlighting for practitioners like these 
these are the common symptoms experiencing by women, um, experienced by women or women are experiencing. Um, and so I think first thing in terms of like learning points from this, I just want to highlight two practitioners, often um, male practitioners, but and female practitioners too. Like these symptoms are, or these are the key symptoms that women may experience. Um, and I really believe that they should be screened for given the impact they can have on training um you know, performance at work even, or um, competing, etc. But in terms of then what, I guess, so if, and I always say this to to any athlete that I'd I'd work with, if you're going to your physician with your symptoms, like you need to have collected over three cycles, this is what my like um, symptom pattern is looking like. Um, But I I really think think we as researchers so yes from a practical perspective we need to collect this data and we need to understand for each individual you know what what are their pinch points in their menstrual cycle is it that in phase four of their cycle they are more prone to um, lower back pain well now we need to do something about it and increasingly and this is a big focused area of mine um we are establishing more and more um ways to manage these symptoms without just saying take anti-inflammatory medication or without saying hey use this hormonal contraception form so i think for me there's there's a kind of um twofold uh, outcome here first thing is like can we not try and identify um non-pharmacological means to manage symptoms so if an individual comes to the doctor well often if you look at stress levels if you look at their diet if you look at their sleep patterns if you look at their training volume you can really quite intuitively piece together what could be going on and I found this to be really effective in terms of really um reducing symptoms and then alongside that I I think from a research perspective we need to keep working on this like symptoms are real symptoms are there and we need to keep thinking and questioning ourselves what more can we do and I think I've realized in my applied world the number of female athletes who are suffering in silence normalizing it I had an an athlete the other day who vomited on the five days consecutively before they started their period every single cycle like that's not like something which can just be brushed over or taken medication for like we need to intervene here um and thankfully we have and it's it's better and actually she hasn't vomited for a year now which is so exciting but I think we need to like not let our or not really like do a disservice to our athletes by letting them and and exercising women across the board by letting them sort of think that it's normal and often we know that my you know you experience what your mother or sister might experience so some um girls might just think well my mom experienced heavy bleeding or my mom experienced really bad menstrual cramps so that's normal because we don't talk about it so I think this really goes some of the way to starting to capture data talk about it educate women and look for the okay what can we do to manage this let's not just step back and accept it Culturally speaking, there is a perception that this is, you know, sort of a private thing. There is certainly shame around it. Historically in sports, it has been used against us as women. Um, Are there any, do you see any risks where collecting this data might be perceived as invasive or might be used against an athlete? 
So short answer to your question, yes, to be honest, I do. Um, and I think <laughs> this is why I get so passionate about it because I'm like, we we need to reframe it so that it isn't being treated like a negative. It needs to be an inner superpower. It is a part of being a woman. And I think like if it's not used in the right context, it does worry me, um, which is why I believe education has to come hand in hand with collecting data because you can't, and so our, through our Oraco uh, programme, we have this free app, Fit a Woman, which like provides the education to support like the monitoring. So it isn't that it's a negative, it is like, this is what's going on. And obviously that's based on a typical cycle, but we've got to start somewhere. Um, so I think, Education has to come hand in hand with monitoring. Otherwise, it it does worry me. And I think also it really doesn't help. Then, as I said earlier, like the negative press headlines around this, it needs to be like, oh, it doesn't even need to be a headline. Hey, we're working with women because women are women. Like it's 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 crazy, really, that we're at this point. But I think the more we can do research in this area, the more we can educate and then monitor hand in hand, the better. So I feel like that kind of sums up um, some of the topics that we wanted to talk about. Do you have any last comments, Jane or Georgie, either of you? Anything that you want the reader or the listener to know about? Yeah, no, I think it's great, Georgie. Thanks so much for your advocacy in this area and, and all the work that you're, you're doing in terms of, uh, as you say, trying to normalize things, but also help us understand more about the symptoms that athletes might be and uh, women exercising, women in general are experiencing on a, on a monthly basis. So thanks for your work. Um, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I think the only other thing I would just add is like, I feel like this is the starting point in terms of monitoring symptoms. Like there's so much more we need to delve into, but hopefully getting this out there as a starting point will then help you know other researchers our research group to keep layering on top of it um and i know loads of other people have done um, research in the female space um but just you know this is really like symptom focused well thank you both of you actually so much for your time georgie and jane this was a lot of fun thank you for having me (laughs) and thanks to you the listeners of bjsm podcast for joining us and we hope you have a physically active day 